but it got to the point in my marriage where my husband told me, when are we going, when are you going to stop? There needs to be a stopping point because this is like, this has seriously become an obsession where it's all you want to do. You don't want to go out. You don't want to talk to me. You don't want to hang out with our friends. All you want to do is talk real estate and run numbers. So when is enough enough? Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, here to bring you the personal side not often heard from the most successful, interesting, and entrepreneurial people who made it big in real estate. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties and help investors like you join me in all my deals so you can get double-digit returns without the need to find, negotiate, close, and manage the deals. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe to the show. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and basically everywhere. You can also go to my website, ellieperlman.com to subscribe to the show. All right, now let's get going. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting and hosting Bree Schmidt. Bree acquired her first investment property in 2011 and left the corporate world in 2014 when she became a full-time real estate investor. Bree is the managing broker of Second City uh, Real Estate, a full-service brokerage working with new investors and seasoned investors looking to expand their knowledge of the industry and their portfolio. Bree utilizes her extensive knowledge of building and managing a portfolio to teach clients about all aspects of buy and hold investing. Bree teaches you how to analyze potential properties, how to calculate your ROI, best practices when marketing and leasing your rental property, and how to be a landlord and build a portfolio. Bree is a co-founder at the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, a nonprofit educational summit for real estate investors. And today, Bree is going to share with us a story about how real estate took over her life but not in the way that you think. And I'm really excited to have her today on a show and hear her story. Without further ado, I would like to welcome Brie to the show. Hey, Brie, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So I you know, would like to start from the beginning. If you can tell us, you know, what year are we, where are you and, and what do you do? So as you, you started going through my bio, it can be somewhat overwhelming, my background of it all. So I started investing in 2011. I did what we call now a house hack. So I bought a building, lived in one unit, rented out the others, and really loved real estate. You know, the next year I bought another one, the next year I bought another one. I think the next year I bought 18, and then the next year I bought another 10. So it took over my life, right? And that's what I, the, I was talking to you about earlier on the show. So by 2014, I was working in corporate advertising sales. I had done that for almost 10 years. And it got to the point where my real estate investing 
was the priority. And my day job was really getting in the way of my ability to do real estate investing. So I quit my job and was going to run my portfolio full time. But I'm one of those, you know, always go, go, go people. I thought I would be sitting in cafes, reading books in the afternoon, and I just <laughs> that person. So that year I started two additional companies. So I started Second City Real Estate, which was my brokerage firm. I'm a managing broker. And then I started turnkeyreviews.com, which is a international website for it's almost like Yelp for out-of-state real estate investors. And then the next year I took on partners and I've got three business partners that I acquired properties with with them as well. And then the next year I started, that same year I actually started a meetup group, a RIA in Chicago. And then the following year I started a summit group for, so it's a three-day conference in Chicago, the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. So you can see how easily right? I just dove right into it and went all in and it, it took over my life in a good way at first. Everything I do is all things real estate. It was funny just the other day, we were out with my husband and someone asked my husband, what are her hobbies? And he just looked at them for a second and just goes, work. I don't know. <laughs> all she, you know she works. And it's true. I, I love what I do and it's, it's become my hobby and my profession. But it got to a point over the years that you know, I was doing so many different things and with so many different things to other people that the reason I got into real estate in the first place was to travel and to do what I wanted when I wanted. And I kind of lost sight of all of that because I got too ambitious with real estate. So let's go back to that point. You mentioned that you actually got into real estate when you quit your job because you wanted to travel. You wanted to have more time for yourself. And was it easy to make that decision to transition from corporate America to owning your own business and doing real estate 100%? It was scary. I mean, it said, I'm type A control freak. I'm a planner. So the, the not having a paycheck thing was really, really concerning. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but... I've made more money now than I ever did working in sales or advertising just naturally, you know, and it wasn't all planned. I didn't plan any of these other businesses. The plan was always, I was going to be a landlord. That was it. So, but yeah, it was totally scary. And said so it just, it changed who I am. It changed, you know, who I've become just having that freedom to do what I want really, even though I wasn't taking advantage of it for a few years. You work in, you know, in, in the advertising and sales industry, and then you decide to do real estate. So at first, you know, you mentioned every year it took more and more and more. At this point, the first, you know, few years, how did you feel just managing all the different businesses and different investment opportunities? How did it feel to you? So I remember like there was nights where I would wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and my husband would wake up like, what are you doing? I'm like, running numbers in Excel, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's, it became obsessive. Like there was always, it's the, the finding the deal. It's like crack to some people. To me, that's my crack. You know, I like, I like the hunt, the, the negotiating, like that whole part of things is where I find my joy in real estate. I later also learned that I, once I actually own the properties, I don't like dealing with them at all. I do not like the management. I tried self-managing. I tried having my own in-house management team and managing that. It's just not something that I enjoy. So that was part of the transition was, was realizing that I don't have to do every single thing 
and be everything to everyone. I need to learn what I'm good at and what I enjoy doing and then focus on those things. But yeah, that's where the big pivot became. You know, waking up in the middle of denied and running numbers and kind of unable to kind of shut your brain off when you're when you're going to sleep was it something that happened often did you how did you feel during that period where you are running you know you're you don't get your steady paycheck anymore you're owning a bunch of businesses and you're basically running the show and now you're in charge can you walk me through you know that period of in your life when you started to feel that things are becoming a little bit too much, a little bit, you know, it's, it's not that you kind of realize that this is not what you signed up for. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the paycheck thing wasn't really an issue. At that point, we had enough rental income and my husband was still working where it wasn't like, oh my God, how are we going to pay our mortgage? But it got to the point in my marriage where my husband told me, when are we going, when are you going to stop? There needs to be a stopping point because this is like this has seriously become an obsession where it's all you want to do. You don't want to go out. You don't want to talk to me. You don't want to hang out with our friends. All you want to do is talk real estate and run numbers. So when is enough enough? And so I had to give him a number of, okay, once we hit this, then that will be enough. And then we hit that number and I kept going. And I... And then a few months later, I told him like, oh, we're there. It's enough. But he said it became really, um, you know, personally said obsessive more than anything because there's always deals. This was back in 2014, 2015 when the market was a little bit different than it is today. But, you know, you never want to miss out on that deal. It's that fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. You know, what if, what if I didn't look at that, that listing for two days and someone else bought it? And it's really just having to get over that and be a little bit more chill with with what comes and if it's meant to be it's meant to be basically your husband kind of told you enough maybe not enough is enough but when is it going to stop when are you going to be you know satisfied with your career with where you wanted to go and you had this number in your head and you hit that number what happened after that did you did you really feel that you know that you were accomplished enough and you were ready to kind of take the foot off the gas in in some way, or did you decide, you know, feel that you wanted to keep going? So a couple of things had happened. So we hit our number and that's when I started working with partners. So enough was enough for us, but I was still doing what I was doing just with other people's money and through my partnerships. So that went on for about another year into probably 2016. And then the market shifted, you know, the market shifted a little bit we weren't able to find kind of the deals that we were looking for or that we had previously gotten. At that same time, my brokerage business had started to really take off. And like I said before, I had that, that desire, that crack addiction to, to find deals. And I figured out that by working with clients, I can still get that, feed that addiction, but not necessarily do anything for physically buy the properties. Because once I own them, I don't like them. You know, there someone else needs to manage the day to day. So that's kind of when I started reassessing my life and figuring out, you know, how can I how can I do the things that I love to do every single day and not get stressed out about the things that I don't like to do. But that's where the shift kind of came was it all kind of happened at once. So yeah, I stopped the last time I purchased for myself was twenty fifteen. 
Interesting. How were you able to do everything, you know, running, buying properties, managing them, or, you know, you stop managing them at some point, but, and then start your brokerage firm. You know, I'm thinking about my business. If I start the brokerage, for, you know, brokerage firm, in addition to everything that I'm doing now, I'm probably going to collapse because there's no way I can do all of it. And maybe that's related to what you mentioned earlier, that you understood at some point that you can be you know, everything to everyone. So how can, can you just kind of talk a little bit about that aspect? So yeah, when I, when I transitioned, I got a full-time manager in 2015. And then I said over 2015, as I was letting things go with them, you know, said at first, the first year I was up there once a month meeting with them, you know, getting, being a control freak, right. Over what they did. And then the next year it was once a quarter, you know, and now it's it's slowly but surely I've released the reins of that and let go of that aspect of things and let them do what I hired them to do. That's really important to me is that if I'm paying someone to do something, I shouldn't have to micromanage them and tell them what to do. That's something that I didn't learn until a little bit later in life. And then the brokerage business kind of took that place and it became my main focus. But again, I was still working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week unfortunately, even with both businesses, being a landlord or being an agent, they're both very reactive businesses. Right. So, you know, I could think my day is going to be totally easy. I've got nothing to do but some reports. And then something goes wrong with a deal or something goes wrong at a property. And all of a sudden I need to refocus my attention. So it's very hard to kind of predict and control what your day is going to be like in these businesses. So again, it was, wasn't really until 2017 that I started to put actions in place to uh, make myself and my time first. So one of the things, like I said, I, I always did this to do to travel and take vacations. In 2016, I took five weeks off and went to Europe. And I was not available for five weeks. Um, unless it was an absolute emergency, I was not available. And that was a really, and well, nothing blew up. Actually, something did blow up. But you know, I couldn't control it anyways. So learning to just let go and really commit to taking time off was a really big step for me. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's also an emotional journey and it's it has to do a lot with self-growth. If you're able to bring yourself from the place where you're a type A control freak, you know, like, like you mentioned it in a good way, because I'm the same, so I can only, you know, relate to being able to outsource some activities and, and, and parts of your business to kind of give it to other people to take care of and trust them. You know, if I pay them, I should not be micromanaging them. So, but going from, from how you started to that point, I know from, from personal experience that that's really, really hard to do. That's not easy to let go, especially when you, you're so used to do things in a certain way and you're used to see certain results and it's really hard to let go. But I think once you learn how to do that, that's the most difficult thing. Once you learn how to do that, then you can really achieve the lifestyle and generally the life that you wanted for yourself when you started. And I can really relate to your story when I think many people, when they reach out to me, they say, especially my former classmates and and ex-colleagues they say oh it's so much fun you own your own business you're your own boss and they think you know you wake up at 10 or 11 a.m you go to the beach you answer some emails and you do whatever you want to do and I keep telling them no I had a great boss before and now I have a really terrible boss which is me and I'm I'm very hard on myself 
and it's really, really not easy. So I think it's very admirable that you were able to make that transition because I'm still learning how to do that. That's not easy. It's a constant process. I won't say that I've completely mastered it. Definitely not. I've definitely made a lot of really big strides to get to a place where it's enjoyable. But again, it's about, it's just unhealthy. The way that I was doing things was really unhealthy. You know, said I morning till night, all I thought about was real estate, you know, and I lost a lot of sleep. I just was too obsessed with it. It really took over my life in a negative way at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, What uh, advice do you have for listeners if some of them find themselves in the same position where they're trying to start a business or still working on the business and they feel the same, you know, obsession and and imbalance of, you know, just the, the low amount of work that could be very overwhelming. What would you what would you tell them? So one of the things that really helped me was I actually started tracking what I was doing. So every day I would keep a notebook next to me. And at the end of the day, I would write down, okay, from 8 to 8.30, I did this. And from 9 to 10, I did this. And I wrote down what I was doing with my day and did that for about two weeks. That was a really huge step for me because once I looked back on it, I looked at it and said, almost all the stuff I'm doing is non-revenue generating, right? I'm doing things that I can pay an assistant, virtual assistant, to do these things for me. And what is my time worth? So that was the first realization. So I kept doing that for about six months. I kept working on my list. And every week I would fine tune it and say, okay, I spent four hours doing this this week. I actually really hate doing that too. You know, So yes, it might cost me $50 an hour to hire out this skill set, but it's something that I completely dread doing. And what someone else can do in two hours, it takes me four because I don't enjoy doing it. And that really freed up a lot of my time for what I call revenue generating tasks. So that's when my business really grew overall was that I was spending my time doing things that physically make me money. And over time by doing that, I did a couple other things too, but I work maybe half the hours that I used to work and make more money than I did before. And that was by outsourcing non-revenue generating tasks or tasks that I don't like. So one of the things people always joke with me, like I still do my accounting. So we have just under 100 units. I own eight LLCs, five different businesses. I still do my own accounting. And everyone thinks I'm absolutely nuts. I love accounting. For some reason, like I really enjoy accounting. So I don't outsource that because that for me is fun. And I do it every two weeks. I have about 600 transactions every two week period. By doing it and by seeing it myself, it helps me understand where my business is at. So I'm not just looking at a report and then skimming through the numbers. I'm physically entering all the data into my reports. And that helps me understand like, oh, hey, we're, we're down here. Oh, we, we had a big expense here. What's, you know, and then able to control that moving forward. Yeah, I think it's a really great tip and a great advice to focus on the value generating or the profit generating activities. And it's kind of when you do a lot of things, it's kind of hard to see which activities actually have a, you know, a bigger impact on your business in terms of revenue and profit. So I think that was a really, really good advice. And thank you for sharing that. So for our listeners, if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you, Brie? Sure. You can find me a couple of different places. I'm on LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets. 
My company website is secondcity-re.com or midwestresummit.com. That's our two-day event we have coming up in June 2019. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story about how real estate took over your life and not for the better and how you managed to, you know, shift things around and and take control over your life and, and, you know, just be happy and satisfied and live in your own dream. I think this is, that was a really good story. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.